This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. There's a lot of people who are legalistic Christians, legalistic, and they think that divorce is the ultimate sin. It's not the ultimate. The ultimate sin is when you haven't asked for forgiveness of God. Oh, you committed the ultimate sin. What's the ultimate sin? Not repenting, denying the Holy Spirit, bringing you conviction to come to the cross. That is the ultimate sin because if you don't go to Christ, how will your sins be forgiven? One of the big problems that the early church had was legalism. A lot of it was carried over from the old way of doing things. Paul addresses this in his letter. People were adding other works to the gospel to be saved. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will be going over what it looks like to go to Christ for any sin. There is no sin that isn't forgivable, except for the one you won't go to Him with. God has grace to meet us with anything we bring. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Titus chapter 1. As he continues his message, the qualifications and ministry of elders. Samuel was looking for a nice for the next king of Israel. And he was looking at all of the sons, and he said, hey, there's one more missing. Yeah, he's out, and he sm- he's the youngest one. He smells like sheep. You don't want him in here. He's outside. And it was King David. So, you know, it's different. When God appoints, God elects, ordain, it'll be obvious, the fruit of their ministry. But there are requirements, requirements. Now, with that said, I want you to pay attention because you may say, well, this text, Pastor, it doesn't apply to me. I have no intentions of becoming a pastor. I have no intention to go to cemetery. I mean seminary. Some of you got it. You already began your barbecue, which is tomorrow. Okay, stay here. No, just kidding. Um, but here, think about this. It's applicable for all of us. Okay, it's two reasons. Number one, why you need to read this. Number one, it's in the Bible. Number two, so that you would know what's required of me. Or if you plan, if you're visiting here, you're visiting us for you want to know what is required biblically from a pastor. Looking for a church? You need to find out what's required of a pastor. And thirdly, it's applicable for all of us. So we're going to see. And we'll find this at the end. Now, verses 6 through 19 is going to give us, and we're studying verse 5 through 9. I'm sorry. Verses 5 through 9, where we're going to find qualifications of a pastor. But in verses 6 through 9, we're going to look at 18 requirements. 18 requirements. 18 requirements that qualifies one to be a pastor in the house of God biblically. Okay? Biblically. And you're going to find, I'm going to let you know right up front, you're not going to find here where it says you need a degree. You're not going to find that. It's important. I'm not knocking it down. It's good. You know, study the Bible. Go to Bible college. But you're going to find that's not a requirement here. Okay? So 18 requirements, and they're broken up into two. There's the positive, 
There are positive and then there's negative in these 18 requirements of a pastor. Okay? So the negative characteristics of a pastor, the negative things a pastor must avoid. Pastor must avoid some of these negative requirements. And then there are positive qualities a pastor must pursue. Okay? So it's broken up into the 18 from verses 6 through 9. Let's look at the first one. The biblical qualification of an elder or pastor is if it's a man, a man is blameless, number one. That doesn't mean he's sinless. That doesn't mean he's perfect. But blameless. In other words, no charge of serious wrong can be sustained against him. He is to be above reproach. Number two, the qualification of a of a pastor is the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Now there are three views as to what Paul is saying here. There are people that have three different views, but only one can be right. Number one, the first view is that the pastor must have a wife. He has to have a wife. Okay? Now, I could see the practical reasons for this, so he won't fall into sin. So that way, if a woman needs counseling, because we here, myself, I don't counsel women alone. Either the woman has a husband, he comes along, or my wife will be there. And the same thing with Pastor John. Anybody that's a leader in this house, according to the Word of God, that's why we follow it. And, and it's just to be an accountability. So I'm never left alone or driving a car with another woman. And that's just, that's just the way... It, it has to be. And they say he has to be married. Again, we could see the practical reasons for that. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. Because we not, we're not too clear as to Paul's uh, marital status. We don't know. We don't know. One thing uh, we do know is that in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you have to be married. And Paul was. But we don't know. Maybe his wife passed away. We don't know. The Bible, where the Bible is silent, we stay silent, okay? Now, she may have passed away. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. It will give us some clue. He said, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. In other words, is he unmarried or is he a widower? But... If they cannot exercise self-control, this is a important message for everybody. Let them marry. It's better to marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So if you have a problem, get married. Otherwise, you'll be living in sin. Okay? And again, I need to throw this out. The Bible doesn't say anything about boyfriend and girlfriends. I hear a lot of silence. <laughs> Most of you are married, so yeah. You should be saying, amen, I hope my kids hear this. No, but it's nothing, but you need to be careful. So we don't know. Jesus wasn't married, right? Was Jesus? No, he wasn't. So that's the first view, and I don't think that's where Paul's going. The second view is that the pastor is to have one wife, ever. Only married once. That's it. We don't believe this with Paul saying either, because God made allowances for marriage. Because God understands two Sinful people are getting together. Okay? People. And so, even though God hates divorce, God gives allowances, divorce and remarriage in Scripture. For those of you who are taking notes, unfaithfulness, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, in the case of death, Romans chapter 7, not that you killed your spouse, but death, natural course. (laughs) Romans chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
in the case of death. In the case of spouse abandonment, in other words, a spouse left and you've been and you haven't heard for years, you, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you can get married. That doesn't mean, oh, my husband's been away. How long has he been away? Oh, 24 hours. No. <laughs> We're talking about years, okay? So, with that said, I just want to park you because there's a lot of people who are legalistic Christians. Legalistic. And they think that divorce is the ultimate sin. It's not the ultimate. The ultimate sin is when you haven't asked for forgiveness of God. Oh, you committed the ultimate sin. What's the ultimate sin? Not repenting. Denying the Holy Spirit, bringing you conviction to come to the cross. That is the ultimate sin because if you don't go to Christ, how will your sins be forgiven? But there are some legalistic Christians that all of a sudden they have this rule book that's not in the Bible. They say, oh, you've been divorced. Well, that's before I got saved. I'm sorry, you can't be a pastor. But wait a minute, that's before I got saved. So I have a question. When we come to Christ, are all of our sins forgiven or some? All. We're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, I make you new. And that's the incredible miracle of Jesus Christ on the cross. Listen, when we come to Christ, we're saved, born again. And all sins are forgiven. If that be the case, King David should not continue being king. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he committed murder. If that be the case, Moses shouldn't have been the leader because he murdered an Egyptian. Oh, you were divorced? Oh, oh, give me some water. I'm about to pass out. It happens. The Bible gives allowance for divorce. Not irreconcilable differences, whatever that is, you know. Oh, we just don't agree. We don't love each other. You made a vow unto death through your part. Hold that covenant. There's certain allowances for divorce. That doesn't mean divorce. The reason why, it is to protect the innocent. Because the Jews had this law that, oh, I don't like the way my wife cooks. Divorce. I'm tired of waking up in the morning and watching your curls in your robe. Divorce. You overcooked my matzo soup. Divorce. Really, they had any excuse, and the law was to protect the innocent. If one leaves his or her spouse, I'm, t- I'm talking about marriage, I'm talking about biblical marriage. I'm not talking about what the world says out there, that two, a man and a man can get married, and a woman and a woman can get married. That's not biblical. The world wants to change things and say, God, we don't need you, we don't need your ways, we're going to do it our way. I'm talking about biological man and biological woman that get married before God. That's the marriage that God honors. And that's the one I'm talking about. But, you know, they're those that walk away. Hey, they left me. They're the ones that divorced. You know, that person is innocent. There are people that actually were brutal with those. I know a woman who was divorced. Actually, husband left her before he left her. He used to beat her. And she was the boy, and they really poured on her legalism, unbiblical truth. And he scarred her even more. It's sad. Don't believe that. That's the second view. I don't think Paul's talking about that. I think the third view is this that he should have one wife. In other words, you can't practice polygamy. That's it. Very simple. You can't be married two wives. Hey, listen. I know my wife is happy with this. You can only have one husband. Imagine two of me. So 
One is enough. Okay, that's two. We got a lot to go. The third requirement of a pastor is having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Uh, in other words, a pastor not only needs to have one wife, but his house should be in order. His children are, are to reflect his life as a pastor. And we're talking about children, not the ones that left the house. Those children are still young. They're not at the age of accountability. We're talking about those that are still in the household. Those that are still young, okay? It shows, it reflects his ability to lead. If his house is not in order, he can't be a pastor. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, that's the requirement. It says, if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Always remember, there's only one person, I've been a pastor for so long, not only here, but there's only, you know, sometimes people come and go, and you always, oh man, people are leaving. And there's only one person that if that person leaves the church, I'm leaving with her, that's my wife. Because the first person in my life is first, of course, God, that goes without saying, but it's my wife, then my family, my children, then the church. And that's the order. Because before the church was birthed in the day of Pentecost, family began in the book of Genesis. It's ordained by God. A marriage is ordained by God. Verse 7 gives us the fourth qualification of a pastor. It says, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. In the Greek and Roman society, a steward managed the household on behalf of the owner. And so he is to be a steward. I'm to be a steward. A steward does not own, but manages. I don't own anything in the house of God. I don't own the ceiling, the microphones. I don't own anything here. I don't own the church. I don't own you. You belong to the Lord. I'm just a steward. That's all I am. And it's to be blameless in how I I serve the Lord. The fifth qualification of pastor, he's not self-willed. In other words, he's not arrogant. He's not overbearing. He's not a dictator, but a motivator and encourager. That's who he should be. Uh, the sixth qualification of a pastor is not quick-tempered. Can't be quick-tempered. We, I mean, forget it. If you're dealing with people and you're quick-tempered, you better find something else. Don't even work at McDonald's. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, it says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You could be angry, and there are people who have been angry, and they acted on the anger thinking that they are righteous. Oh, I'm angry because of sin. So is God. You know, when the Lord told Moses, Moses, uh, just speak to the rock, okay? He gets mad. These stiff neck people, you get me? I'm going to strike this. Hit the rock and gave water. The symbol of the rock was Jesus Christ. Did you say, you know, Mo? Listen, Mo, you got it all wrong. I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad. Who are you to get mad? I have grace, full of grace, full of patience. I didn't get mad. Who are you to get mad? And because you did this, Moses, you're not going to the promised land. He misrepresented God with his anger. So you need to be careful, and that applies to all of us. It's not, it's not a sin to be angry. Understand that. It's an emotion God has given us. We can be angry. I'm angry at the way the world is, the way they treat our children. They're taking children away from the parents, telling the children, we can't tell you if your daughter wants an abortion. 
if your son is five years old, he wants to be a woman, a girl, we're going to honor that. That's what they're doing. That gets me angry. But how we respond to that is where we, I need to be careful. How we respond to anger and anything, we need to be careful. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry, go ahead, but do not sin. That's it. Be angry, control, self-control, wonder, fruit, spirit. The seven qualifications of pastors, not given to wine. Not given to wine. Goes without saying a pastor who gets drunk is not fit for the ministry. Or gets a little buzz, not fit for the ministry. As for me, you know, okay, the Bible doesn't, you know, say that alcohol is a sin. It's getting drunk that's a sin. But also there are a lot of scriptures that say, you know, just avoid it. And I think that's wisdom. People say, oh, well, Jesus drank wine. No, it wasn't fermented, okay? Back in those days, that was the cleanest thing to drink. And it was grape juice. You go to Israel, you say you have a stomach ache. You go to the lobby in Israel. You know what they're going to give you? Grape juice. Because it helps. So when Paul tells Timothy, hey, drink a little wine, he really meant drink a little grape juice. And, you know, I'm not, down, I'm not diluting this text. You read it for yourself. Do you research? Do you look at history? And so for me, I don't drink alcohol of any kind. Any kind. I don't for the sake of others. Number one, I really don't care for it. I could do without it. Paul says, all things are lawful. But not all things are profitable. I have the freedom without guilt if I'm not convicted to have. But I don't do it for the sake of others that I'd rather not do it. The only alcohol I do drink, I know you're waiting for a brand. It's not a brand. <laughs> the only alcohol that I drink is a NyQuil. Okay? Now, don't think I'm going to say, hey, Judy, get a couple of bottles of NyQuil. <laughs> I'm clear. No, I don't drink. And that goes without saying, because now we have these laws where you could buy marijuana everywhere. Let me tell you something. I don't care what the... See, this is the problem. We're so... We depend on our government to tell us what's right or wrong, but we don't read, to read the Bible. Okay? And that goes with marijuana. Any kind of drugs that cause a stupor, that causes you to alter your way of thinking, is a sin. It's wrong. It's wrong. Period. So as for me, I don't want to be a sipping saint or a puffing pastor. Just know that. I fear God. I fear God. I really do. And it's, and you know, it, it's just, anyway, not giving too much wine. I'd rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd rather have the Holy Spirit control me. But if, what am I going to have? The Holy Spirit control me or these things to give me a buzz? I want to feel good. No, you want to feel good? Seek the Lord. Get on your knees. Read the Bible. God will fill you more than what you can deal with. I don't think we understand that. The same power that rose Christ from the grave is in us. The Holy Spirit is powerful, but you can, only, you can only get as much of the Holy Spirit as you want. The problem is we don't. The flesh is weak. The Spirit is willing. The next thing the pastor requires a pastor, he shouldn't be violent. Not violent. You know, he's not prone to violence. In other words, he does not use physical violence on another. You know, it's important. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, if it's possible, if it's possible, here it is, as much as depend on you, not, we're not saying if you're right or wrong, live peaceably with all men. It goes without saying now, that doesn't mean you can't defend your family. That does not mean you can't defend your family. Because 
I, I'm, I'm not for violent. I don't, I don't, I'm not prone to it. I won't, uh, you know, welcome it. But if my wife or my kids, my family is in trouble, or I see an innocent woman, a child, or anyone, I'm going to do what I can to help and save. But you're not prone to violence. Number nine, a pastor is not greedy for money, not greedy or dishonest with money. We see it all over, and this is the reason why the church has been hurt for so many years. You got these fake false teachers, prosperity teaching on TV. And I'm going to say it's TBN, to be honest. Most of them are all there. 99%. Maybe one or two will teach you the Bible. But it's all motivational speaking to get you to buy their jet. It's sad. But careful who you watch on Christian channels. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, For the love of money, not money, it's the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You will never be satisfied. Those are the negative things a pastor is to avoid. Here's the positive in verses 8 through 9. Number 10, a pastor is to be hospitable. He's to be a lover of strangers. His home should be open to the saved and unsaved and, and, you know, all those who come under his roof. However, with that said, we need to be careful because I got to throw this in so you won't think, hey, let everybody in my house. Jehovah Witnesses and all these cults and pagans. No, there is a line and you need to use wisdom. Second John verse 10, there's only one chapter. Second John verse 10, it says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, the biblical doctrine, you know, another gospel, another Jesus, do not receive him into your homes nor greet them. Now, the nor greet them doesn't mean you can't say hello to them, but it just means that you don't embrace them. They come to your door? Yeah, let's talk about Jesus. Can we come in? No, we could talk about Jesus out here. I'm not going to say God bless you because my neighbors will probably say, hey, wait a minute. He said, God bless you, Joe. Wait a second, I'm going to let him into my house. No, I'm going to say, may you find the true Jesus. There you go. He's not a God. He is God. <laughs> Jesus, right? Not only that, you know, they may not convert you into a false teach, a false doctrine, but you have little ones in your house. They may be converted. So you need to be careful. Open your home to strangers, but be careful. But ultimately, we need to be careful, uh, you know, how we entertain strangers. The book of Hebrews tells us why, because we might be entertaining angels. You'd be surprised. That person you cut off on the highway is in heaven. You see, your face looks familiar. Yeah, you cut me off 84. You know. Be careful. Be careful. The 11 requirement of a pastor is a lover of what is good. He is a lover of what is good. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie is working through the book of Titus. When it comes to running the race, the book gives us clear, sound advice for living, like in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, which say, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. That's just one small piece of the wisdom buried in the book of Titus. Pastor Eddie has a lot more to share with you, so be sure to come back again. Are you learning as much as I am from these messages? Want to be a part of sharing the good news through this ministry? Jessica is here to share with you how to step in. 
prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program. And we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. If you missed that website, it was runningtheraceradio.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Calvary Chapel of Milford, just click Back to Homepage. Thanks for being here with us today on Running the Race.